This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, educate, teach, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Healthy declines, bullish sell-offs, positive corrections. After a day where the Dow lost 122 points, S&P backslid 0.21%, the Nasdaq declined 0.16%. I got to tell you, when I first got in the business some 40 years ago, I would hear those seemingly oxymoronic terms, and they would drive me crazy. What could ever be good about the market going down? Unless, of course, you're a short seller betting on lower prices. But over the years, I realized that just like a gardener who cuts back plants in order to encourage growth, a sell-off can potentially breed a better market down the road. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though. I have some real concerns right now about this market, even as I think this pullback will ultimately prove to be a buying opportunity. But you've got to be patient. You've got to wait for the right moment. Let's tick things down. My first part. It's this booming IPO market. I mean, honestly, uh, specifically to infinity and beyond meat. Last night, we profiled beyond meat and gave you our totally stretch blessing to buy this stock up to $35. We kicked this around. I felt awful saying 35. I said, no, it's okay. I know it's ridiculously high. But then it gets a ridiculously fast grower. I hemmed and hawed about it. But I figured, okay, that's about 25 times last year's sales, roughly eight times my back-of-the-envelope estimates for this year's sales. Again, not earnings, but sales. It it sounded pricey, but I said, okay, I'll just come out here and say 35 because I like the story. I'll bless it. Well, what happens? The stock soars into the stratosphere, trading up to 65, not 35, 65 and change today. That's 163% to nearly double my target. And my target was already a nosebleed valuation that I felt bad about. Now, I know Beyond Meat is a tiny company, 200% growth rate. It deserves to be red hot. But this kind of behavior, taking an unproven money-losing company to around 50 times last year's sales, it is not a good sign. It tells us there's a lack of discipline and an excess of exuberance in the IPO market. I don't like that. Worse, it will encourage still more reckless behavior. I just like Pinterest and Zoom Video, both of which have continued to percolate since they came public. Think about the trajectories of those two market darlings. Pinterest opens at 19, okay? Uh, then goes, to, I'm sorry, it prices at 19. It opens at 23, okay? Then goes to 35 earlier this week for pulling back to 29 today. Zoom Video is more outrageous. Prices at 36 opens at 65, goes to 76 before finishing at 75 today. It's more than double where it started. People, I don't like this. 
Pinterest now sells at 17 times this year's sales. Get this, Zoom, which is a little bit of a pedestrian company, it's not a great company, all right? Zoom trades at 47 times sales, and those valuations are nuts! They know nothing! They know nothing! Why is this so troubling? First, because I don't like to pay more than 10 times sales for anything, for any stock, even the fastest growers. That's been my long-term rule of thumb. There's too good a chance that it will blow up in my face within the next couple of quarters. But second, perhaps more important, when you get these kinds of moves, obscene moves, I will add that word, obscene moves, it's like what your mother always told you when you were little, or at least I hope she told you. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. I know the Lyft deal was a bust, but that disappointing rideshare IPO now seems like a distant memory. Now it is all fun and games again, and eventually these undisciplined buyers will hurt themselves. When will that happen? I'm not sure. The brokers seem to have learned from the Lyft that you have to let the buyers win now and then. And these three, Pinterest, Zoom, and uh, Beyond Me, well, they're massive wins. Could the brokers simply be trying to suck you in for the biggest deal, the skein, Uber, a company that's losing money, slowing growth? We know when Facebook's IPO crumbled that the whole market took a header. The whole market, not just Facebook. What if history repeats itself with Uber? If the Uber deal works, the rest of the market won't gain. If it doesn't work, and that happens to coincide, say, with a breakdown in trade talks, well, you will be glad you heeded my admonitions. So that's my biggest worry, but it's not my only worry. There are other signs of froth. Hey, look at Tesla's stock today. It's soared, right? What was it, better than expected earnings? Uh, good, good sales numbers? No. It was on a $2 billion capital raise. A raise! Yep, the stock rallied 4% in part because if Tesla can get all that money, then it's in clover even if we get a downturn. But it also rallied, I think, more significantly because Elon Musk indicated that he intends to buy $10 million of the stock portion of this equity and convertible bond deal. Buy! Love him or hate him. You can't doubt Musk's commitment to his stock. His judgment, hmm, I don't know, but not his enthusiasm for it, which was infectious enough to push Tesla higher, even though normally stocks are supposed to go down in this kind of news. Tesla's balance sheet isn't exactly pristine. The broker uh, that's bringing the offering, a Goldman Sachs, do you know that the broker has a sell, a sell rating on the stock? Talk about excess. That's the definition of excess. I remember there was a time when Goldman Sachs, when I worked there, uh, the research department had the right and did kill underwritings. They felt they were unworthy of that firm. Clearly, that's no longer the case, or Goldman wouldn't be working with Elon Musk. Will it be a good deal? Again, it's all dependent on the price. Uh, I'm betting it will work even as, it, you know, even, let's just say it, this is, this is excess personified. Third example of froth, look at Qualcomm. Now, I love Qualcomm, the technology, but this wireless technology company has now seen its stock roar from 57 to 87 in just a couple of weeks. 57 to 87. Last night, Qualcomm reported management actually said they may not immediately be as ro- things are not as rosy as people thought. The 5G buildup may, may take longer than you think. They basically said that, you know what, this is not a now story. Initially, the stock got hammered on the cautionary warning. That made all the sense of the world. They basically said, hey, don't get too aggressive. Uh, but by the time the stock started trading this morning, Qualcomm's stock went up, not down. It's downbeat forecast. Sorry, that's not realistic. I mean, this, that stock's got to be pruned. Now, of course, not everything is rosy. This morning, I interviewed Jim Fitterling, the CEO of Dow Chemical, after Dow reported, yeah, a decent quarter, not great, uh, decent. Uh, not too far from the mark. Yet the stock fell an astounding 6%. Sell, 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 sell. To where it now yields 5.3%. Now, I'd argue this represents an irrational lack of exuberance. We own Dow for my Chapel Trust. You can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. 
And we're getting clocked by this thing. I am aghast at how hated the new Dow chemical is right out of the chute. And let's just say it. I am really faced with an amazing conclusion. Dow and DuPont should never have merged. They would have made a lot more money for shareholders had they stayed separate. But the rest of the market's actually encouraging. A little hatred's a good thing. Overcoming hatred is what makes stocks go higher. When everything is love, that's when you need to worry. And a lot of stuff is love. What else? Once again, the magic care stocks, they got spanked. Hey, okay. Remember I told you this group had more downside, but it would eventually bottom. We're not there yet. And the beloved square got hit. Down 8% when reported in inline quarter. People wanted a genuine beat, and this one uh, pulled back. Let's just say I actually find it encouraging. But the bottom line. You don't make big money in IPOs like this Beyond Meat deal at the start of a major move. You tend to get this kind of action at the end. And I don't want anyone to get hurt here. That's why I think you should do some trimming and raise some cash, as we told members of the ActionLearnersPlus.com club to do. You can put it to work if the market gets hit. Again, I am pretty sanguine about the market longer term, but the disciplined thing to do right now is to raise a little cash, prepare for a pullback, given the excesses I just told you about, and then get ready to do some buying again. Pete in Florida, Pete! Booyah, James! Yo, what's up? First time caller, long time fan. First time, long time. Uh, yep. one, t- one quick comment. You know, I miss the days when you used to sign on and emphasize my job is not just to entertain. But well, to educate, I love that. I'm still kind of there. Let's go. Let's go to work. What's up? All right. Anyway, Garmin, I own the stock, and they've exceeded their earnings and their revenue expectations for right. the last four quarters, and they have an A-plus rating on the street. And yet the stock is just being, like, arm and hammered, Garmin hammered since that earnings report the other day. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's with that. I, mean, I actually it? like the earnings report. I mean, everyone always seems to think, wait a second, it's a commodity. It's not. If you take a look at the long-term chart, and I'm not a chartist, but it's not right where I think it should. I think Garmin's a very good company. They've done a lot of good things to bring out value. I'm not against holding on to the stock. Uh, let, let's, um, I'm against holding, I'm against selling the stock. I think, I don't want to buy it, but I'm against selling it. Chad in Florida, Chad. Hey, big Tampa, bu- 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 buck in your booyah to you, James. There's you some doing, spirit. Sir? That's what I want to see is spirit. What's going on, Chad? Man, I live in Florida. You know what we need down here is Yeti coolers. I bought earlier and I've been riding the waves. I mean, look, you know, I got to tell you, I was talking to, to uh, Ben Stoto today, who is a research director. We both thought that was a great quarter for Yeti. I think you're getting an opportunity. I think that Yeti is really one of the better companies that come public. That's an example of a good IPO. It didn't go crazy at the opening. It came in. You got to buy some. It wasn't frothy. It's the exact opposite of what I'm seeing right now with Beyond Meat. Do we have any Beyond Meat here? I mean, honestly, do we have any sausage This thing is in your face as being too expensive, and I don't want to be obscene. It's obscene. Froth alert. I continue to bless some trimming here so that you have some cash to do some buying. If people start realizing, like I did, that it's gotten very frothy, leave them in there. Man, money today. Disappointed in pal not taking the president's side? Then I'll tell you why it's time to do something else with your cash. Then the first quarter was rife with activism, with campaigns launched against everyone from Bed Bath to Bristol Myers. I'm bringing you up to speed, telling you what to make of the moves. Core Labs down a whopping 50% over the past year. Has it run out of gas? I'm going to talk with the CEO. And let's not forget, up 163% for a faux sausage? Stay with Kramer. <laughs> Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on Twitter. 
Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Who are these people who took the president seriously? I mean, that's all I could think of yesterday when the stock market started breaking down after a benign monthly Fed meeting on the lunatic theory that somehow Fed Chairman Jay Powell had disappointed us because he didn't agree with President Trump that it's time to cut interest rates. When Powell failed to obey Trump's tweets, shocker, people started selling. Or at least that's what I kept hearing about over and over again in the media. I am not convinced these people exist. I can't think of anyone who thought the Fed was going to cut other than a couple of knuckleheads who came in and spooked the futures with some real hard blasts. Just two minutes into Powell's press conference, there were no large futures buyers anywhere, just sellers. uh, And that's why stocks went down. I think that there was some serious disbelief among grownups that anything like this could be happening. People were incredulous. I mean, who the heck, honestly, expected Powell to do just whatever the president tells him to? That is so juvenile. It's too juvenile for words. However, once the selling did get going, sell, 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 sell. Selling that continued today. We started hearing all sorts of nonsense about how it looks like that the rate cuts are on hold, perhaps because of inflationary pressures that may or may not be building. I mean, suddenly maybe we're going to get rate increases. The selling begot a reason. And the reason led us into our first real sell-off in ages that continued today. As the market kept rolling over, we heard rumblings that Jay Powell must know something, which is supposedly the only reason he disobeyed the president. Maybe the employment number tomorrow will be too strong. Now, you know the drill. You get an excessively positive non-farm payroll report from the Labor Department tomorrow morning, and anyone calling for rate cuts will look like a dope. Instead, the same course of inflation hawks who convinced Powell to declare war on the economy in the fourth quarter of last year will come right back and start arguing for more hikes immediately at 8.31 tomorrow. These people will never admit that they were wrong. They refuse to acknowledge that the Fed overdid it when it tightened at at nine times and then gave us what's known as an inverted yield curve, where the short rates that the Fed controls are around, sometimes even higher than the longer term rates, something that often signals an economic slowdown. See, that whole litany has come right back into play, darn it. Like the fourth quarter. The whole, Jesus, it makes me so angry because that's what inspired the pal bear market. Now, let's just put everything in, on hold for a second. Instead, let's go back to the original selling blast yesterday. Why did the market go down? We're told it's because people were disappointed that Powell didn't cave to President Trump's demands, so they sold futures in the news. But if that's the case, these sellers are truly living in a parallel universe, which is why I think this is a bogus explanation. Look, Powell can't start cutting rates here. No, he can't. Not with better numbers than we had when he uh, last tightened in December, which is the case. He has to wait a bit after the last hike, no, no matter what. Regardless of what Trump said, a cut was never on the table. But the idea that the Federal Reserve, supposedly an independent agency, would cut because the president says so? 
That is insane. Look, I am a big believer that the president has every right to complain about Powell's moves. I have never said that he's wrong to do it. I think that many of his criticisms are actually spot on. But we have an independent central bank in the country, which means Powell can do whatever the heck he wants. More importantly, the Fed jealously guards its own independence. If people started believing Powell could be pressured into doing what the White House wants, he would lose all credibility. No one would believe him when he threatened to tighten because, you know, he'd be back down. And that's why I think Trump's tweets are completely counterproductive to his own cause. At the end of the day, we don't live in a banana republic, people, where the central bank is run by some spineless sycophant. And that's a good thing. If anyone was truly disappointed by this, the most obvious thing in the world, frankly, maybe you should think long and hard about how you ended up believing something so preposterous and whether you should even be running other people's money, let alone your own. Stick with me. Coming up, the barbarians are at the gate. Activist investors have been busy this quarter, and the companies they are after may be in your portfolio. Kramer storms the castle when Mad Money returns. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Wall Street loves it when a big-name activist hedge fund takes a position in an underperforming company and starts stirring things up. But not all activist plays are equally successful. Sometimes they reach an accommodation with management, and it works. Other times they get involved in proxy fights that distract the people running the show. The trade falls apart. When it works, though, riding the coattails of the activist can be very lucrative, which is why we spend so much time talking about these situations lately. Tonight, I want you to, ca- I gotta get you caught up, okay? Get you caught up on what's been going on with four of the biggest activist stories of the year Dollar Tree, eBay, Bristol Myers, and Bed Bath and Beyond. Because you need to know how these scenarios tend to play out. Why don't we start with Dollar Tree? This chain of dollar uh, stores saw its stock get clobbered last year because of the family dollar acquisition that it made. Dollar Tree has a reputation for being the best run business uh, in that whole dollar industry. Family Dollar, on the other hand, was the worst. So the idea behind the deal was that Dollar Tree would be able to turn those stores around. But it was taking longer than expected, and shareholders started losing patience. So early this January, the big-time activists at Starboard Value entered the fray, took a 2% stake in Dollar Tree, and urged management to cut its losses and sell Family Dollar, in addition to some other initiatives to boost profitability, like selling merchandise at different price points, maybe more than a dollar. Now, when the news broke, I begged Starboard to give Dollar Tree's management a chance. When we last spoke to CEO Gary Philbin, he explained that the family dollar side of the business was finally turning. He'd renovated a number of stores, and those stores were producing much better numbers. I told you this was a win-win scenario for you. Either Philbin's plan works or it fails, and Starbucks can clean house. Sure enough, when Dollar Tree reported in March, the numbers were solid, impressive same-store sales, and the stock has come roaring back. It's 109. It's not too far from its old highs. It's given you a 31% gain since Philbin pointed out that this, the turn and it was happening at the end of November. It's up 18% since Starboard got involved. And it's given you a quick 12.5% win since I told you it was a win-win scenario mid-January. 
In fact, Dollar Tree's plan is working so well that about a month ago, Starboard basically declared victory, agreed to work with management constructively rather than trying to replace the whole board of directors. You know what? I don't think it's done. I think this company has more upside. It was always my favorite in the group. Next up, in late January, we learned that Elliott Management, the legendary activist firm run by Paul Singer, very smart man, had taken a 4% stake in eBay and Starboard jumped in too. Elliott's plan, they wanted eBay to sell off its non-core businesses like StubHub, you may have used that, or the classified ads business. I liked the sound of it and urged eBay to work with Elliott. I told you that if CEO Devin Wenig could reach an accommodation with the activists, then the stock might be a real winner, and that's exactly what happened. By early March, they were working together on lock value here. And there's a, look, there's a lot of value to unlock uh, and, and because eBay doesn't really get credit for StubHub or this classifieds business. Company had some major strategic review in collaboration with Elliott. They gave the activists a couple seats on the board and the activists in turn agreed to pipe down for a bit. When eBay reported last week, the headline numbers were solid. Technically, this was a beat and raise quarter. But there was one glaring problem. Their gross merchandise volume, they call it the GMV, the single most important metric if you're running an online auction house, came in up weaker than expected. It was down 4% year over year. Still, the stock roared on the news. Win-win. Plus, the whole point of Elliott's plan is to unlock the value of eBay's non-auction business, not the GMV business. The stock's up 21% since Elliott got involved. It's up nearly 10% since I recommended it at the beginning of February. I bet again. This one's not done going higher. How about Bristol-Myers? At the beginning of the year, Bristol-Myers told us it was buying Celgene, once a favorite of ours but fell on hard times, Celgene for $74 billion in a game-changing acquisition that would really bulk up their anti-cancer business. But the deal was very controversial. The stock got slammed on the news. A few weeks later, Starboard Value comes in and tries to block the deal. Man, these guys are busy. Bristol-Myers is a little different because this is a case where I think the activists straight up got it wrong. Now, we had Giovanni, Giovanni Cafario, he's the CEO of Bristol-Myers, on the show a couple times to make a case for the deal. And he told, I thought he told us a, a, very, a very, very compelling story. His company's key oncology drug, Optivo, has been crushed lately by the competition from Merck, this key fruited drug that's so good. But with Celgene, I think they'll become the largest player in the onco- oncological space. And Celgene does have some drugs that are on the come. Eventually, management won. The deal was approved by shareholders of both companies. And now all that's left is for the transaction to close. And hey, the stock is finally starting to get some traction. When Bristol Myers reported its latest quarter, the results were better than feared. Stock has now rallied for six straight sessions. It's up more than 5%. Even here, though, you know what? It's 10 times earnings. Too cheap. Goes higher. Last but not least, there are activists who will try to take on truly Herculean tasks, like cleaning out the Aegean stables, the stables that is Bed Bath & Beyond. B-B-B-Y. Yep, a trio of activists takes three to do this one. Legion Partners, Macellum Advisors, and Encore Advisors are targeting this downtrodden big box retailer. The idea that you could turn around Bed Bath & Beyond is something that requires an enormous amount of self-confidence bordering on hubris. The fundamentals here? Awful. Bed Bath has spent years ineffectually trying to fend off online competition, especially from Amazon, but they never really committed to any of their initiatives. Instead, they decided to spend a fortune buying back stock at much higher prices. If I were taller, you know, I've lost like about three inches in the last five years. It's driving me crazy. I should take a Pilates. That's what my wife says. Well, anyway, in retrospect, uh, they might as well have set the money on fire rather than put it in a big chimney, you know, because, wow, has it been a waste of money. Now, longtime CEO Stephen Tamaris wants to get serious, but he doesn't seem to know how others, uh, how other than spouting buzzwords, what to do. That's my view. After the cover reported an OK court with truly hideous guidance, he told us he wanted to, and I quote, moderate the declines in our operating margins and earnings per share. Bold plan. 
That's why a few weeks ago I said Bed Bath & Beyond should give the activists everything they want. Unlike Tamaris, at least they got a plan. And I think it's a lot better than the status quo. The one thing Bed Bath has going for it, though, it's got a clean balance. It's got a billion in cash. So it's theoretically possible that someone could write the ship. It's only been three weeks, but since then, a lot has happened. Last Monday, Bed Bath's board formed a new committee to conduct a strategic review. They're shrinking the board from 12 to 10 seats, and five of the current members are stepping down, including two octogenarian co-founders. Bed Bath's got a new chairman, too. Uh, but the activists weren't satisfied. I don't blame them. They're not satisfied one bit. See, they want a new CEO, and they'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. Last Thursday, they published a massive 168-page document, which was an indictment of Bed Bass current leadership and a well-thought-out turnaround plan. If you really want to deep dig down, this was a very compelling document. My view on the stock, as long as Steve Tamaris is running the joint, you know what, I don't think you should own it. I like the activist plan to turn the company around much more than management's murky thoughts about how to get things back on track. The bottom line, the best activist situations are the ones like Dollar Tree or eBay that are win-win. Either management does a good job or the activists lower the boom. But something like Bed Bath & Beyond, where you have a very troubled company and management is fighting tooth and nail to protect itself, and boy, have they ever paid themselves a lot of money, rather than protect the business? No, I don't want them in there. I like the activists. That's a different story. Larry in Texas, Larry. Hey, Booyah, Jim. Thanks for sharing all your insights and comments with us. Oh, you're making us you. money. Uh, you're a nice man. You're a nice man. I try hard. So I tell you, like today, okay. we're at Dow Chemical, and they didn't. They blew it. I'm angry at myself. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I ordered your book today. I'm oh, a big fan you. of yours. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's very kind. I, okay. I bought Dollar General late in 2018, and I'm up about 35%. I took some money off the table today. I listened to your commentary this morning. But do you think Dollar General is a good long-term hold for I sure do. I like what you did again because bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs, they get slaughtered. At the same time, I think that that's a great situation. You're doing exactly what I want people to do. little trimming because I think the market's frothy. And when I think it's frothy, I'm going to speak up and say it. Tom in Florida, Tom. Hi, Jim. My question is about Home Depot. Even though the stock is up today, since last week, the stock has dropped about five points. I just right. read that they're replacing their CFO. Well, she's think that's the main Carol, reason for the drop? Well, Carol Tomei, who is one of the few CFOs I have ever had on Mad Money, because she is brilliant, is retiring. And when we talked about this fractional alerts, which we own, I have to admit that I said, you know what? The company will not be as good without Carol Tomei. She's, she is fantastic. At the same time, I do think the world of the company itself, they have great management, they've got a deep bench, but I would be remiss to say, oh, it doesn't matter, she leaves. She's too darn smart. But I'm willing to stick with it because they've got such a great franchise. And I wish her the best of luck, and she is welcome on the show. She is extraordinary. Don in California, Don. Hey, Jimbo. Yeah. So the, the stock of Decker's Outdoor has, uh, pardon the pun, outrun the competition. They've done so a great the job. They've up. done a great job. You're absolutely right. Uh, so is it still, but it's still trading at a relatively low PE. Um, comfortable shoes. They've got these new high-performance carbon running shoes for uh, real high-performance runners. So is it still safe to get in? Uh, you know what? I, I, I did not catch the run. I didn't recommend it. I was focused on Nike. I am not the best call, therefore. I always like to say, hey, listen, if I got it right, I can opine. I have not. I didn't push the stock. So I wish I could say it's late or not too late, but I never nailed it to begin with. So I just got to stick with Nike. And I, by the way, Under Armour, I thought, had some pretty good numbers today. 
All right, an ideal active situation is one that is a win-win, all right? But beware of situations like what's happening at Bed Bath & Beyond, where I think the activists should win. Much more man money, and I'm cutting to the core of Core Labs after its recent drop. Could the decline signal more problems to come for the company, or is it the industry that it's a fault? Then it's a company on a quest to find improved detection and treatment for breast cancer. Do not miss on the eve of National Women's Health Week, my exclusive with the CEO of Hologic. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Justin Chevron and Occidental got everyone excited about the oil industry again with their uh, bidding war for Anadarko. Core Laboratories, the technologists of the oil service space, well, let's just say they threw a bit of a wrench in the works. Core Labs, which helps producers analyze rocks and fluids to show them the best places to drill, reported earnings last week, and while the headline numbers were a little bit better than expected, I thought the company was a tad too cautious, uh, given the fact, though, that oil was down two bucks today to $61. I totally get it. And that's why the stock plummeted 11% last Thursday. And it's continued to trade lower ever since, even though it has the best return on investment in the comp group. Problem. Even though oil prices have rebounded from their lows, Core sees U.S. drilling activity being, again, let's call it tepid during the second quarter. Drillers have been burned too many times by the roller coaster that is crude. I think they've become more conservative. The question is, has the stock been punished enough given how great its technology is? Let's take a closer look with David Dempsey. He's the chairman and CEO of Core Labs. Learn more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Dempsey, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thanks for having us back on Mad Money, our 16th appearance in the last 24 years. Well, you're very faithful to our show, and I've got to tell you, David, I think that something's happened in the group. I think with oil in the 60s, they should be hiring you more, but you did say in your conference call that you're beginning to get the kind of interest that would indicate that companies are gearing up because they have to meet their production goals. Yeah, Jim, that, that is correct. If we look at what the main drivers are for core laboratories, they are internationally based projects and deep water projects. We've seen a number of final investment decisions being made over the last three years, and we think in earnest in the second half of 2019, we start to see those revenues coming back into our revenue stream. Now, which of your two different uh, reservoir descriptions is it that people are interested in? Which are the ones you think are, are, are going to turn first? Uh, it's going to be production enhancement because that is mainly a U.S.-based business, and it does have some international, international exposure. In the second half, we look for a uh, nice gain in revenues in reservoir description, which will drive high incremental margins, which will drive their margins back up in the high teens. All right, so what's happening here? We've got the, the uh, sanctions being extended. We've got problems in a lot of different countries like Venezuela, where they're producing a fraction of what they used to produce. Uh, we don't necessarily have uh, with their, what's left of OPEC on the side of, of lower oil. Why isn't oil dramatically higher, David, given the fact that the United States is doing so well? Well, and that's one of the reasons why, Jim. Uh, the report out uh, this morning was that the U.S. production has reached 2.4 million barrels a day. This is up some 7 million barrels in the last eight years. This is a re remarkable gain in crude. Yes, we do agree. We see large declines in Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, Angola, Nigeria, uh, and some of the northern African states like Libya uh, and uh, Egypt. And so there is a bit of a disconnect in the supply that is there to come on other than the United States and where the price of crude oil is today. 
Okay, well, let's talk about what you're doing to be able to make it so that we can get more money out of our fields. Speak about some of your technology, because I found that some of the, the, uh, the idea of integrating gun support continually came up on your conference call. What does that mean for companies that are trying to find more oil? Well, when a uh, well bore is drilled, it is lined with casing. That casing has to be perforated so there's communication between the oil reservoir and the flow up the oil well. So a new perforating gun is out on the marketplace. It is made up of new components, one of them being an addressable switch and also being pre-assembled before they get to the well site. This is in, uh, inherently safer and much easier to implement into the well bore. For instance, if you're drilling off a pad and you've got six wells that might have 100 perforating guns in them, you can fire those guns in any order that you would like. So you can fire gun one and then gun 100 and then gun 50. This will make for a much superior completion so the well can be stimulated and ultimately produce more crude to the surface. So when, a, let's say, a Chevron or uh, Occidental is trying to get uh, the Anadarko, what they want to do is they want to use that to be able to find oil in some fields that may already been uh, drilled on but don't have enough oil coming out without that instrument. Well, that is correct, Jim. Uh, all three of those companies are great clients uh, of Core Laboratories and are huge users uh, of technology. And they're looking to apply this to ensure that they get a better return on their invested capital and increase their free cash flow, which are two uh, demands that investors have today to making sure that all people in the oil field are at least earning their cost of capital, where in the past decade, maybe not so much. Now, what's happening in the actual market that I look at? Because I'm looking at the at, at crude futures, okay? Uh, and it says that basically out to forward curve backward out to 2023, the price is about $53. Often you have felt that oil has to go up, but $53 out a bunch of years, that would not be that great for people in the oil service business. Well, certainly one of the reasons is the U.S. inventory numbers last night bloated by about 10 million barrels. Uh, on a $4 billion, in, or $4 billion barrel inventory market, this is not significant. However, traders trade off their num the number. You, you are correct. The crude oil curve is backward dated, and some of these larger projects like offshore Guyana with Exxon, uh, Talos Oil offshore in Mexico, uh, a lot of these are going to be uh, brought on for greater supply. We think we're going to need every barrel and are a little surprised by the backwardation of the curve. Now, one last thing. I know that there's talk about, I, I was surprised to see North Slope activity. I thought that that had gone away, but it sounds like you're, that's a could be a potential hotspot for you. Yeah, correct, Jim. As you know, on our call, we talked about the expansion of our Anchorage office. Stay tuned there. Right now, the North Slope's only output is about 400 to 450,000 barrels a day. We're getting down to the point where the uh, North Alaskan um, transatlantic Trans-Alaskan Pipeline needs more feed oil into it to keep it viable. There have been some large discoveries there, and we're going to see some nice developments over the next several years off the north slope of Alaska and offshore Alaska. Well, that's great insight because I don't think many people have that or know that. Uh, you've, you've hung in there. Best return on invested capital. I, gotta I always have to appreciate what you're doing, even in an adult drums market. I thank David Demsher. He's the chairman and CEO of Core Labs, the technology, the technologist of the oil field. Their money's back into it. 
It is time to the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Chris in Alaska. Chris. Hey, Jim. Night Swift Transportation had a pretty good pullback this last week. Is this a good day? I'm not a trucker point? fan. I mean, I looked at XPO Logistics. I kind of liked the quarter. Next thing I know, boom, the stock got clobbered. Let's stay away. Randy in Arizona. Randy. Hi, Kramer. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, I have a two-part question. Um, I own uh, WPM, Wheat and Precious Metal. Right. That's the decent, right? Um, I, was, I was wondering what I should do with the stock. Well, you know what? You yeah. can own that. I do, but just for the record, I prefer Barrick Gold, which is the old Rand Gold plus Barrick, symbol G-O-L-D. That's the best one. Dr. Mark Briscoe in charge. Let's go to Ed in New York. Ed! Hey, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am good, Ed. How about you? Thanks for calling. Yeah. Listen, you're the best. You're the best. Thank you. All right. Uh, my stock is... Holly Energy Partners, H-E-P. What do I do? Yeah, you know what? Something's wrong with this thing's at 10%. The other, 10% yield. The other day, I saw one of these companies that are very similar that actually got blitzed. They cut the dividend. I am concerned. Let me do some work. We're going to go back and look at these partnerships to see which ones are yielding too much. But a 10% yield always in this env- environment worries me because it is a red flag. Let's go to Dave in California. Dave. Hey, Booyah, Jim. How's it going? Not bad, Dave. Thank you for asking. How about you? Oh, it's terrific out here in Southern California. Well, there you go. Better than here. What's up? My stock is uh, Cirrus Logic. 52-week high. You know, jeez. Look, I, I, I love, look I, you know, I think the world of Apple, Cirrus is a supplier. I cannot bless buying it at this level. I can't. As good a company as I think it is. Ken in Maryland. Ken. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I'm a long-time listener and enjoy your show very much. Thank you. My question is, PetMed Express stock prices. Yeah, what the heck is that stock time. doing at 10 times earnings with that yield? That makes no sense to me. That said, you know what? When it comes to animal health, I am never going to deviate from IDEX and Zoetis. Those are the two blue chips in the industry. Kevin in Wisconsin. Kevin! Hey, from the land of beer and cheese on the beautiful St. Croix River, a big booyah to the minister of moolah and the oracle of audacity, Kramer. How are you, my friend? Holy cow. Hey, you cut me this quick with that one. What's up? <laughs> I have doubled my investment in GTLS. I can't believe the gas to liquids, which is what that stands for, GTLS, is actually all the way back up. That is a company that I, I've got to tell you, I have missed the move back. I cannot bless it all the way up here. It's run too much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. While vast swaths of the healthcare sector have just been hammered of late, the medical device stocks have mostly hung in there. Uh, they're doing pretty well because they're not hated by the public like the drug companies or the managed care place. Take all logic, a company that makes top-notch diagnostic equipment, medical imaging systems, surgical products, and light-based treatment systems with an emphasis on women's health. A few weeks ago, the stock was setting new all-time highs of 48 and change, but recently it's pulled back a bit. Last night, Hologic reported what looked to me like a pretty good quarter. Uh, modest top and bottom line beat with solid guidance. However, Wall Street's reaction, let's say, was a bit confused. Initially, the stock got hit. Then it rebounded, erasing the losses. What do we make of this? I think we need to do some more homework. So on the eve of National Women's Health Week, 
Let's check in with Stephen McMillan. He's the chairman and CEO of Whole Logic. Learn more about the quarter where his company's headed. Mr. McMillan, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Have a Thank seat. You Thank you. Much. You know, the vast Thank majority you. of my staff is uh, oh. female. So, very and, good. Yep. And, well, this is, we've got the four, but yes, daughters research, as well, right? indeed. Uh. And they all cheered that you came on because they feel that not many companies actually address women's health needs. And as I studied for the piece, I have to admit that Hologic is pretty much the Jermaine Ephesus. Oh. We, we, we happen to think we've probably done more for us, women's health and especially breast and cervical cancer than any company on the planet. That's my, that's my read. After I talk about, you should and talk about some I, of the inventions you've had and some of the things you're doing, biomarkers, sure. what you're doing for just everyday women, National Women's uh, Health Week coming up. Yeah, first, thanks so much for having us on, sure. especially ahead of, of National Women's Week. I think the biggest thing and one of the most visible things right now is certainly our 3D mammography. And if you think about it, we invented 3D mammograms, uh, launched first in the United States in 2011, didn't fully really take off until kind of the 2015-2016 the right. time period. And today is in more than half the hospitals in all the country and, frankly, expanding very quickly around the country. In simple terms, the great thing about our 3D is it improves the detection of cancer up to 60% and the early stage cancers. But also what it's doing is it's reducing false positives. So you think about one of the big problems, right, in imaging is you get these positives and then you've got to go in and have a biopsy that isn't needed. So our 3D mammography has really been pioneering and, and opening up so many new avenues, really particularly in women's health. And I know for shareholders, you're talking about the Genius 3D. You said on the conference call, tremendous recurring revenue, which obviously we want to make money, and we also want to, obviously, we have a mission. Your mission is to help women yeah. survive, yes. thrive, but you also, this product actually does quite well for, your, for shareholders. Yeah, it's part of the magic of our company. You know, our purpose is to enable healthier lives everywhere, every day. And our, our passion really is being global champions of women's health. You know, I happen to be very lucky in combining business with a strong sense of purpose. Our employees, they do. They wake up every day. You know, I got a call at 10 o'clock Friday night last week at the end of a long week from the president of our breast health business. He called me at home just to say, hey, there was a, a small group of R&D engineers that had taken a project themselves that had been languishing. It wasn't even theirs. And he called me literally at 10 o'clock at night. Jim, to just tell me, hey, these guys think they've cracked the code on this project that's been really kind of going nowhere for a little while and, and really complex. And they just did it on their own. Well, you know, and that's what you get when you have a company where everybody cares and we're fighting for our sisters, our mothers, our daughters, you know, everybody. You know, everybody's affected by women. No, I, I was going about something else involved in the earnings, but I want to pivot to this because I think you have to explain to people that's actually highly unusual. You and I have been around. We know that most people that go to work and they feel a sense of purpose, but 10 o'clock at night, a breakthrough, that's so, quite different from what we're exper- we've experienced in business. It, it is, and I think, you know, it's part of what, I think being in healthcare is one thing, but truly transforming women's health. And, you know, it there is just an incredible passion. And what's been fascinating, too, is, as our technology keeps advancing, it's probably like the iPhone. If you think about the iPhone, right? right? All the things it's enabled where, like, would Uber exist without the mm-hmm. iPhone? No. Well, with our 3D mammography, one of the other things that's really become much more apparent is women's breast density. And the fact is a lot of women, about half the women have dense breasts. Those have always been very hard to read on mammograms. 
But with 3D, you can actually read them so much clearer. So we are actually the first product that's been approved and cleared by the FDA for dense breasts. So it's another one of these that, you know, and then that gets our engineers that much more Mm -hmm. fired up. It gets our clinicians, it gets our customers, the radiologists, you know, and they start telling us about all the patients who they've been finding more cancers in earlier so they don't need mastectomies but we can just go in and do minimally invasive surgery and it, it's just it, it is magical well it's so, one sorry, of the reasons why i'm so glad you're here no no because <laughs> the awareness people may not even know that this exists uh my executive producer regina gilgan was also saying listen you really got to ask about the biomarkers it's not and it wasn't in the conference call so, so this is something that you should talk about because again if we can get awareness we can get people to realize that there's yeah. that this is no longer a horrendous process it's obviously not good but horrendous process. sure we've got you know Lots of different things, but one of the early, one of the new areas, and it, again, it's enabled by the technology. What we're actually getting into is what we call breast conserving surgery. And so, one of the acquisitions we made last year is of a technology called Biosorb, which is a resorbable little marker that now, if a doctor is going to go in and do what's traditionally known as a lumpectomy, right. and then we need to do radiation treatments, we can mark the exact spot without having to do, traditionally, it would be a mastectomy and, you know, lots of radiation. Now we can do very targeted treatment. And in this case of Biosorb, the product is put in, it allows the marker, and it eventually absorbs back into the body after a couple of years. So you have something that helps you in the short term, and then there's no surgery required on the back end. So we're able to take what used to be, you know, mastectomies, turn them into minimally invasive surgeries, treatments, everything so that the patient can end up, you know, in a much better place. And by the way, it's also a lot less costly to the healthcare system. Well, look, this is all terrific. I mean, I, I'm glad you came on because I think a lot of people just feel that no, everyone's just making money off the healthcare system and not improving people's lives. Hologic has always had that great reputation. And you're thank preserving you. it. Thank I want to you. Thank you for, for the women in the audience, but the men too, for everybody. Okay, that's Stephen McMillan. He's the Hologic... Uh, Chairman, President, and CEO. I don't know about you, but I just I wish more people knew about this, and I'm glad you could come on the show. And money's back after the break. Thank you so much. What did they put a man on Mars? Maybe cured a rare disease? I don't know. To me, it just seems like a plant. Oh, sorry. Uh, when this stock goes up 163%, okay, in the first day, that's what I call a sign of froth. Frankly, I don't care how good they are. I really don't. In the end, they are all non-beef patties. And I just think that this is the real sign of froth. You're looking right at it, and it worries me. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.